Hello, lovelies. Welcome to Horror 421, the podcast, with your hosts, special effects makeup artist supreme, Elena Morales, and your friendly small-town horror author, Charles Campbell. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the frights in this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Horror 421, the podcast. And today we have a very special guest with us. He's our first returning champion. We have a movie director, Tony Wash, with us today. Hello, Tony. How's it going? It's going great. And as always, I have my beautiful and talented co-host with me, Elena Morales. Hello, Hello everyone. How are you today? <laughs> everyone, I hope you're doing just well. Um, but we're super excited to have Tony back on the show. Like I said, he's our first returning guest and, uh, Elena's actually with us today. So she's going to be chiming in and asking Tony all kinds of questions, but I do want to give you a brief reminder. Tony has directed such films as it's my party and I'll die if I want to. He corrected me on the previous podcast because I had some bootleg Amazon copy and, uh, I got the real deal right here signed by the man. So, uh, you can go check him out at scotchworthyproductions.com and, uh, see what he's got out there. He also directed a movie called Skeletons in the Closet, one of my personal favorites. And I don't know if he has any more of these vinyls available. Hope, hopefully he does. But uh, this is an awesome soundtrack. So you guys, you know, he'll give you all the information uh, during the podcast on where you can find this stuff. But uh, this is an amazing record. I write to it. It's pretty damn awesome. But anyway, good to hear. I digress. Tony, thanks again for being on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me back. I I like being the first repeat offender. That's pretty cool. Yeah. The first of many, hopefully. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. you just need to be present more often so that we're not doubling up the conversation just so that you can be, yeah. you know, clued into what we I talk about. I feel really bad about that. This is just making, you know, it's making me feel a lot worse than I already feel about it. Yeah, I feel like half your other podcasts, you've got like three people in your room with you and it's like... <laughs> And you wouldn't even show up for my recording. That was just sad. I was there at work and I was like, hey guys, got a podcast. I got to go. And they're like, well, this is what happened. I was like, okay, I guess not leaving anytime soon. It was not, not a good day. And, and in day. fairness to Elena, she does work in the medical field and uh, it got kind of hairy for her that day. But we pressed on. We pressed on. So Yeah, it was still a good time. I had a lot of fun. That's why I'm glad to be back. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. Charles and uh, you know, hopefully Elena brings uh, some more questions to the table <laughs> and different dynamic to the conversation today. Although I got to say, Charles, I went to your website to reciprocate the generosity and tried to pick up one of your books, and all you all you have on there for payment is PayPal. You can't use a credit card on your on your website. Did you know that? Oh. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I thought you could use it through PayPal, a credit card through PayPal. Well, you can. So the problem that I have is I I tried to do it while I was at work the other night. And since I just moved, PayPal is literally the only thing that I haven't updated my address on. Because when you go into PayPal to update your address, you have to update every single credit card that you have linked to your PayPal the billing address. And half of the credit cards I don't carry in my wallet. So I I have to come home. Now that I'm home, I got to go in and find all my old credit cards. Update well, that's all right. I, I'll go in and put another payment method in there. It's not that hard. Yeah. Why are you making everybody's life hard, Charles? What are you doing? Hey, what are you doing, hey, man? zip it, you. What is this, 
<laughs> I'm on your, my face is on your website, sir. We need to fix uh, this problem. That's yeah. the book I'm going to buy. I right. talked with Donnie, our, our good friend Donnie, this weekend. He was up in mm-hmm. Chicago at the Days of the Dead convention, and so we sat and bullshitted for a while, and he was finishing up Midnight Rider, and I'm like, so which is your favorite of Charles's books? Because I'm buying one. I just haven't bought it yet. And he said, get the uh, get the short story anthology. Oh, yeah. That one's yeah. really good. So that's the one I'm going to buy. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll look at updating the uh, payment method, and I'll message you when I get that done. So, Thank you. Thanks. And if not, I'll, I have to update my PayPal anyway. I just wanted to give you shit about it because I was like, ready to support you. I was gearing up, and then, no, can't do it. Oh, man. Oh, well. All right. Fair enough. But I, I got to say, Elena, I love that you have the Beetlejuice light back there. Super cool. That is my, I cannot tell you how much hell I went through to get that. I had went to about 10 different Spirit Halloweens, and I kept seeing it on the website, and they kept telling me, it's in stores now, in stores now. Every fucking store I went in did not have it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to order it online. Well, I ordered it online, delivered it somewhere else. Then I had to order it again. It was a mess. But when I got it, it was very... Nice. You know, it's easy to go to 10 different spirit stores because there's literally a spirit store every block. It's like a, a Walgreens. I don't know if you guys have Walgreens where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. They're literally five. Yeah. So. Anyway. Yeah. But they also have different stuff in each one. So it's kind of a different experience in each one. So you're like, it's okay. Yeah. But they have um, a sandworm I want to buy this year. We're excited because we, now that we have our house, we're like, we've been wanting to throw a big Halloween party because we're both Halloween nuts. And this is like the last two years being in the townhouse, we haven't been able to have a nice Halloween party. So we're so excited to finally have a space to do that. That's Although awesome. Lord knows I don't have time to decorate for Halloween because I'm probably still going to be doing projects around my house. Because <laughs> um, that's all I do now is work on the house instead of movies and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. Well, before we got, you know, before you came on, uh, before the podcast started, I was telling Elena, yeah, I'm almost done pressure washing my house. So I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> around the- I got to do that. Townhouse. That's easy. You don't HOA have to... does it. It's fine. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. I literally just ordered about an hour ago, Charles. I just ordered nozzles for my power washer because I need to get some and power wash my deck tomorrow. So there you go. Cheers. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When did we ever notice that our lives were going to come to talking about the housework that we have to do? <laughs> How fun are we? Adults. Are about blockbuster and becoming adults. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Anyways, let's talk about horror stuff. (laughs) All right, my friend. I wanted to ask you, so Tony, honey, um, when you were growing up, was there a certain TV show or horror-themed movie or horror book that you saw makeup on, and that was your calling? You just knew right then. Like, what was one of those films that you just saw, just blown away, and you said, "I'm going to do that. That is what I want to do." Well. You know, I started with the black and white horror films. That's all my, my mom would let me watch when I was really young. We're talking like five, six years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Thing from Another World was always my favorite, um, which is great because one of my top three movies of all time is John Carpenter's The Thing. So it was really great to be able to see the progression of kind of that story, how he evolved it to the remake that, that he did in the 80s. And um, obviously that would be, uh, a, a go-to answer for special effects makeup that just blows your mind. 
Um, Rob Botine is just a god when it comes to practical effects work, but I didn't see the thing until I was in high school. I worked at a video store and I worked with this guy who I was like 15 and this guy was in his 20s and he's like, you know, seeing me rent, you know, Halloween for the hundredth time while I'm working there or whatever. And he's like, well, shit, if you like horror movies, have you ever seen this and this and this? And, you know, showed me Prince of Darkness and the fog, which I'd never seen, which is crazy. And the thing, because you look at the cover of the thing and you look at the cover of the fog and look at the cover of Prince of Darkness and they just, they're not really appealing covers. And that's what, as a kid drew me to movies. Um, so ultimately I watched all that stuff in high school, but before that, the first color horror films that I saw that probably just got me into the genre was House. Um, trying to think of, of what else, like Friday 13th Part 4. Uh, I had that on a VHS tape that I copied off of TV and my mom found it and put it on top of the refrigerator. <laughs> every time she would go out for the night, I would like climb up on a chair and grab it and watch it you know well so. i don't i don't know if i mentioned this in the previous podcast if i did just stop me but you said probably 13th part four and i was a kid too at the time um and i was in love with those movies and it came out of the theater and it was playing at a small theater in aiken south carolina and i called my dad on the phone and uh and i'm like dad i said you've got to take me to see this movie he's like what are you talking about i said friday 13th part four is the final chapter they're never making another one ever <laughs> <laughs> 27 movies later, but yeah. <laughs> Out of all of the horror movie franchises, him and Chucky are my least, like, I have a hard enough time sleeping as it is. You know, I don't want somebody to, like, come at me in my sleep. That's like, that freaks me out. That, that always bothered me on the inside. You think Jason? Oh, wait, no. Why did I just think Friday? Wow, I'm tired. I'm sorry, y'all. I just mixed up Nightmare on Elm Street with Friday the 13th. I don't know. Yeah, you did. Sorry, Elena. my head Elena. is like, wow. Freddy, Fre Scrambled Jason, eggs up here, you know? J Jason greater than Freddy. I, I'm a but Jason I do have fan. a Jason tattoo. Sorry, I don't know why I did that to myself. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, Jesus. I, I don't find Jason even remotely scary, but I'll tell you, those movies, even though it's literally the same thing over and over and yeah. over, I absolutely love the Friday 13th franchise. You know, they've... That I, we all grew up on them. You know, I was, I was born 1980, so being a kid in the 80s, Jason and Freddie were like, you know, they were like Mickey Mouse in the 80s, especially Freddy Krueger. And so, and, and that's back before there was really a lot of merchandising for horror. Um, oh, yeah. Because now, you know, it's everywhere. Um, I wish I would have jumped on that bandwagon a hell of a lot sooner than I did because there's a lot of money to be made for, you know, all that merchandise. But anyways, um, you know, it's it's just, it's, to be to have been a kid in the '80s and, and be raised on those types of horror films with the practical special effects, where they were really kind of coming into their own. Um, you know, like I said, movies like The Thing and even action movies. You look at the other Rob Bottin stuff, like Total Recall. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that that movie's just got insane special effects in it, and and even like Explorers with uh, River Phoenix and Ethan Hawke. You know, he did all the the alien makeups in that and stuff. Um, Obviously, the howling. He did the howling makeup and that. Those werewolves are. I, I like those better than American Werewolf in London. So. Oh, don't break my heart. I love that movie. Oh, I do too. American Werewolf in London. The transformation scene is awesome, and the way that they the way that they coordinated the monster movements is really fascinating to me. Like how when, for example, when the guys in the subway being chased, mm -hmm. and they show that shot from the top of the escalators. 
and the werewolf is just crawling. Well, that's and a great crawling. shot. Yeah. It's like, it's just a guy with a torso and the, the head of the werewolf and he's doing the wheelbarrow walk with somebody holding his legs behind him and they cut the shot before you get to his crotch and see that it's just a dude with a torso of fur. And I'm like, that is, that's the type of ingenuity that, that mm-hmm. movies used to have. And I'm not saying they don't anymore. It's just, you had to really think about that shit because you didn't have CGI to save you when you had those problems, you know, and. It's just that's cool stuff. But oh, yeah, were, it was, I that prefer was that well over CGI. CGI, you can do a lot of cool stuff, you know, obviously, but the practical effect aspect of it and making sure that the makeup was on point for every single damn scene you had to do because you had to do that is so much more impressive to me as an artist, though, because that's just so fascinating to me, especially like you said, with the movements and stuff that people have to do with the fluidity and studying everything in the motion. It's just so much more interesting that they had to do that, you know. What I what what fascinates me when when we talk about special effects, which I figured you were going to steer a lot of the conversation in that direction, since you're an, an effects artist as well. Um, the the really interesting thing to me is the evolution of mm-hmm. creature design. Like if you if you look back to like monster movies in the fifties, it's like I understand that those filmmakers and special effects artists were not going to create these really elaborate makeups because they were working with like Elmer's glue and Mm -hmm. shit like that. You know, they didn't, they didn't have silicone and stuff like that to work with. And so I I completely understand why those monsters were as rudimentarily designed as they were. But when you get to like the seventies, even though that's still pre silicone, there was still latex in the seventies and stuff. And so you think about the work that Tom Savini was doing in like Dawn of the Dead and and whatnot. It's cool and everything for the time, but I'm just surprised that like you look at something like the Silent Hill movies or, you know, Pan's Labyrinth or whatever, where you have them saying, okay, well, why do we have to make this character designed structurally like a human being with arms and legs and a head? Why don't we have, you know, his head be up here and we're just going to put him in a bigger suit and, you know, or we'll, we'll change his arms around or whatever. And, you know, we'll have him crawl backwards like the spider walk in Exorcist. I just, I don't understand why they never thought to do that 20 years prior to when they started all that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just always, anything that deals with special effects is always so interesting to me. I just like the process of it all. It's a long process. That's for sure. Very long process, but super intriguing. Yeah. I think my biggest inspiration as a kid, because I've I've said it like eight times on this podcast, but it's still interesting to me. I watched the making of Thriller on a loop every day as a kid like five times a day and my mom found it the other day she goes do you know how many times you watched this as a fucking kid you irritated the shit out of me and you always like scared but you wanted to do it and watch it so you watched it and i did and i just was like i'm gonna do that one day i want to do that i want to make the werewolf like i want to do that that is what i want to do and then they went into um the conversation of how they made you know american werewolf in london and the guy who directed that movie and was behind a lot of that. So I just remember watching that and I was just utterly fascinated at the whole process it took even to direct the movie, you know, make the makeup. It was just so cool. I just was like, I want to do that. And I'm I'm there. You, know? you still have that VHS tape. You should get that from your mom. That'd probably be a pretty cool thing to have, although you probably don't have a VCR. I have I do actually have one. I need to test to see if it still works though cuz I actually kind of still prefer VHS. 
It's great to go to a Goodwill and find old horror tapes, you know. I mean, not that I need any more shit in my house because I've got so much <laughs> stuff already, but I still have a lot of my VHSs and they've been in boxes for the last seven, eight years because I've just not had the space for them. So, yeah. Another great spot to find VHS tapes of all genres flea markets. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you have any flea markets where you're at, Elena, but we've got this we humongous have a one. a few. Actually, my friend Amadeus, he um he gets a lot of cool horror stuff, too. If you're actually a horror nude, horror nude, horror, horror nerd, nude. that's actually some of the best places you can find, like, old school magazines. He got me this frame thing of the Doritos, monster Doritos things that were out a long time ago. So I have those randomly in my house for no reason because he got them for me. Yeah, it's one of those things where when your friend knows you like horror stuff, they get yep. you just, anytime they find something horror, they're like, well, I thought of you, you know? And we get him Frankenstein for anything. They always get me anything that deals with Tim Curry, obviously, as you can tell. Um, I think he got he got me a, um, which was really hard to find. It was the callback um, vinyl of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm -hmm. And it had it nowhere else. And I said, I need that. I'm going to pay you for it. Here's the money. Just buy it. <laughs> And then cool. I ended up at Days of the Dead and got the book with all of the, the actual guidebook that went with it as a random find. So. Oh, nice. No, that's cool. Yeah, I love Tim Curry, too. I'm excited because we, um, bloody disgusting, we run Screenbox now. And yeah. we got that Pennywise documentary that's on the making of the 1990 miniseries. That is, yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really can excited. access to the Roku channel, correct? No, so so I don't know if Pennywise is going to be on the Bloody Disgusting TV channel, which is on Roku, um, but we also run Screenbox, which is subscription-based, similar to Shudder, um, and so that's something where you can get, I, if you have my Instagram or my Facebook, There's I took a picture last weekend at the convention of the um, postcard that has a QR code on it. You can get 30 days for free, and I don't know when... Pennywise is premiering on Screenbox. I want to say in the next month. Um, we just played it at Panic Fest in Kansas City three weeks ago, maybe. Um, but I, I'm really excited to see that. To see that. So. I'm excited too. I, I, you definitely got a new subscriber in me. I'm going to go check that out. He's I, typing I, in it as he speaks. Hey, I subscribe to Shutter and I watch a lot of stuff on there. But uh, and I started checking out the uh, Bloody Disgusted channel on Roku because, just because of Tony in the last. Uh, podcast so um to refresh our our listeners kind of tell them your involvement with bloody disgusting and what you do for them as far as programming so i i've been friends with brad and tom who have run bloody disgusting since its inception i think in 2003 or 2004 i've known him since 2009 and um so we we've just always kind of talked and, and whatnot and then in 2016 i I brought them this concept called World of Death, which is a web series that we created, uh, my co-producer, Jim Peterson, and I. And we basically went around and collected horror films, short films from all over the world. And we ran over 500 movies and represented over 50 countries with World of Death over the course of, I think, four, four and a half years of being uh, on the air, which we ran through Blade Discussing's YouTube channel. And so from that then, when they created Bloody Disgusting TV with Cynodyne, who was the company that ultimately bought Bloody Disgusting, um, they started that in 2020. And so they said, well, hey, Tony, you know, do you want to create a new evolution of World of Death? Let's call it Bloody Bites. And so we have a 30-minute TV show that airs like 
a dozen times each week. Um, well, I guess it's actually, it would be like 36 or 40 times each week because in an eight hour block, I schedule it a dozen times for each you know day, but then that block runs three times a day. So anyways, that's all the boring shit. Um, so, so I, I do that. I, I curate bloody bites and which is pretty cool because it gives me an opportunity to talk to filmmakers from all over the world. And I've collaborated with a number of them over the years because of this community that we've built. So that's really exciting. And I'm glad that Bloody Disgusting has kind of helped me perpetuate that and, and get these filmmakers out there for more poor people to see. Um, and then I also program the channel. Uh, so the 24-7 programming that you would see if you turned it on through your Roku is what I do, which is awesome because I literally get to sit at my computer and I can listen to music. I can have Bloody Disgusting TV on in the background and I just build the 24-hour the playlist and I throw all sorts of the stuff that I loved growing up, like Galaxy of Terror and Piranha and... Uh, and, I, and I've noticed that I've actually had it on and, and just in the background, like you said, if I'm sitting here writing or whatever, it's playing on the television and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, Tony programmed that. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, it's awesome, man. I love it. it it's do you have anything to do with the Bloody Disgusting podcast stuff? Uh, so we have one of the I podcasts, guess. Boo Crew, we, we do, they do video podcasts. And so okay. I program those on the channel. Um, I've talked about starting a podcast, which multiple times they've said, do it, you know, let's get it going. And I just haven't done it because I got so many other things going on. Yeah. Um, I would love to, it's just, you know, the, the part of it to me is like, there are so many podcasts, as you guys mm -hmm. know, that it's difficult to, you know, get out there and break into it. And as much as having the support of a bloody disgusting network behind me, I think I would get a decent, you know listenership if, if I got something started. It's just, I would want it to be good. And, and I would be afraid that if I don't put enough time into it, you know, I need to buy all the nice shit like you guys have. I don't have a nice microphone. I literally have my computer microphone and no headphones. Justin got that for me because of the podcast. Cause I know nothing about technology and I'm not going to pretend like I do. I know nothing. And he uh, comes home with this and I was like, what is this? Oh my God. So intimidating. I don't know what to do with it. Has too many buttons. I was like, "There's buttons. I don't know." Uh, yeah, that is why I don't direct things. I just work. Yeah. I'm in the business. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> but I do want to say, um, because of what you do, um, a lot of filmmakers and small horror filmmakers, it's so awesome that you are able to give them a voice to be heard in a place and a format to put their stuff and bring, you know, their their life's work to fruition, you know, it's just amazing that you guys are able to get so many small horror names out there because my friend, you know, he works so hard at what he does and it's so hard to get your name out there and show people stuff. So it's just cool that you're, you're doing that for them. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And it's, you know, that, that really just comes from me having been in the business for 16 years at this point and seeing kind of where I've come. Uh, to this point, you know, I'm not making multi-million dollar movies. I don't live in a mansion and, and have everybody ask me for my autograph because there are so many people out there that that are making movies, especially horror movies at the independent level, that it's just very difficult to get yourself yeah. known in the community. And uh, 
And so I just, I've, I've always thought myself to be more personable than some of the weird filmmakers that you'll meet that don't know how to talk to anybody, you know? And it's like, how did you make a movie? You can't talk. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and nothing, nothing's wrong with that. Most, some of those people are the most talented people out oh, there. Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. the ability to communicate, you know, is so important in my opinion. And, um, I, I was a bartender for a long time, so I feel like I've got the gift of gab. And, and so I wanted to try and use my love of horror and my ability to talk to people to just kind of create a community. And, and this was the perfect opportunity and bloody disgusting is such a, a household name for horror at this point that it is, you know, there are been. other companies out there like alter and, um, and, you know, crypt TV that, that do a really good job. And, and even shutter now is really, I think because of the pandemic, there was such a shortage of content made by studios because SAG and all the other unions have such strict COVID regulations now that all these independent films are like in demand, which sucks that I don't have like two features waiting for distribution like I did three years ago before the <laughs> pandemic, because I probably would have made a bunch of money off of selling them. But those people are now getting such a great opportunity, um, especially short films and stuff. But I'm glad that because of the name that Bloody Disgusting has, the reputation that it has, that people want to be a part of what we're doing with Bloody Bites and, and with the channel and Screenbox. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's just a really cool opportunity. And, and it's, I don't want to say it's effortless because it takes time and, and, and it does involve a lot of work, especially talking to all these different filmmakers. But it is almost effortless because of the fact that I don't have to seek out filmmakers to find content. They typically bring it to me because they want to be a part of what we're doing. And I think that's awesome. That is amazing. Bloody Disgusting has so... a name. And, uh, you know, they've been out there for a while. And I'm excited about Screenbox. I'm definitely going to subscribe to that. So, listeners, subscribe to Screenbox. We're going to check it out, see what's coming, especially the It documentary. I'm excited don't about that. I hear that. I'm sorry. I don't know what my neighbors are doing. I don't hear it. I don't I'm hear it. But one other thing before Elena jumps in with her next question is, tell us about Days of the Dead in Chicago. It's been a minute since you've been to a convention, if I'm correct. So tell us how that went for you. Who, who did you see? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I haven't done a convention since Atlanta Days of the Dead in 2020, right before COVID hit. And I, I knew I missed it, but I didn't realize how much I missed it. Yeah. Just being surrounded by other people that love the horror genre as much as I do, you know, you have that kinship to those people. And um, there's nothing I love more than bullshitting horror. And, you know, I'm... I'm very fortunate to have a wife that that not only tolerates horror as much as she's forced to digest it because of me, but she actually enjoys horror movies. And that's part of why we you know, started dating in the first place, because we had that connection. But she's by no means a horror nerd like I am. And so it's it is sometimes, um, you know, it's like you, you just have to have that camaraderie. Uh, like I have with Donnie, for example, where, you know, Donnie's been posting for, this is our mutual friend, obviously, uh, that Charles and I have. And, and Donnie has been posting for the last two months. You know, this is my countdown to going to Days of the Dead Chicago. And and uh, so it's just really great to run into him and, and hang out with him on Friday and Saturday and just talk about horror movies. Um, it was cool to be within like two feet of William Cat. And George went because, as I said, one of the first color horror films I ever saw was House. 
And so, you know, at one point, George went, walked right past me and he was wearing a Walter Payton jersey. And, you know, it's just cool to see him kind of, you know, being in the because wasn't was he in that that Saturday Night Live skit? Was he in the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, balls, double, double, double. Yeah, that's what, that's what yeah, I thought. He, he was he was a mainstay on there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's just uh, so they were they were really cool. It was awesome to see. And, and I'm not one of those. I'm not one of the people that goes to the conventions and spends all my money on autographs. I don't need somebody's autograph to feel some sort of validation. Um, and I understand why people do that. I just, I don't have enough money. I'd rather buy, <laughs> like, I'd rather buy material objects or, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. then, then go and like decorate my house with stuff, then spend $50 to get someone to sign something and look up at me once and say, thanks. And then take my money and go to the next <laughs> fan, you know? My um, first ever horror signature came from Days of the Dead. And it was Sid, it was Sid Haig. And it yeah. was the year before, it was the same year he passed. And that actually hurt me in my entire soul. Yeah. I didn't know that something like that existed as far as a horror convention because I was the closet horror nerd. You know, I was at home watching the horror stuff. I was always watching Jason. Yes, I know my movies. Sorry, y'all. I messed up earlier. But I'll <laughs> anyway, you know, and I had to closet that a little bit. And then, you know, when Dustin and I got together, I, I realized there were so many conventions. And like you said, with the camaraderie with everyone. Because every fan that goes there is a legitimate true horror nerd that, you know, they read the comics, but everybody is so nice to each other and supportive and outgoing and everybody can share that moment. But going back to Sid, I remember doing that and he was the nicest person I've probably ever met as far as someone who signed something for me. He talked to you for a while. It was so funny complimenting him. We were like, we really love all the stuff you do. And he's like, thanks. <laughs> it was just, it was just cute. Yeah, he was he was an incredible person. Um, I loved working with him. I loved um, you know gaining the respect of him as a director uh, mm -hmm. has to be probably the largest accolade that I give myself personally mm -hmm. uh, as a filmmaker um, because you know he's somebody who was in the business for the better part of fifty years and you know worked with some amazing talents over the years from you know, Spider Baby and all the Jack Hill stuff that he did and Roger Corman and, um, you know, and some of the people that he starred alongside, you know, he was in a James Bond movie for Pete's sake. I mean, that's, that's yeah. insane to me that, that then him in his, you know, early seventies or late sixties was, you know, on a set with me and was listening to me tell him what to do. And the way that we worked together was just, uh, it, it was a really special experience at the time. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that he was able to see the movie before he passed. Um, cause it took us, you know, the better part of seven years to, put the film together in post-production and, and, you know, get some, some shots added to it and re-edit it and all this stuff. And it finally came out in 2019. And then he, you know, obviously passed, I think that September or something. Um, I absolutely love that movie, by the way. I, I don't what? know why I love that high on the hog. So oh. I love, 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 love that. Movie. And I finally watched it. I do. I Thank do you. Like it quite a bit. Thank oh, you for up. finally you getting up. him to watch this movie. Like I've been begging him to do forever. Uh, you know what? Charles is a huge fan. I mean, everything <laughs> I've told him to do, he goes and does. So right. I'm not going to give him shit at all. 
Thank you, Tony. Yeah. I appreciate Damn, that. Damn, I see how it is. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's literally, he, Damn. He, I know he's got skeletons. He bought the soundtrack. He's got two copies of It's My Party. There I don't you know. Go. He's got the rake because he bought yeah, the, I got the rake. Yeah. yeah, he had to go through all those hoops with Amazon to get the right DVD. No, I didn't. Tony <laughs> set me straight on the right DVD. I got it from him. <laughs> I bought the bootleg from Amazon and he, he told me, he said, dude. No, don't do, don't get that there. Get it it was so funny how quick you were. You were like, "Hey, go ahead and trash that. Return it. They have free returns. Uh, get the one that I have because that's the right one." So oh, he's I don't right. Talk about the and, other one. and and he signed this one, so I got his signature on here with a little nice message. So and I've only got one copy. Of that. <laughs> I have one copy left, so I one copy. Not that I can't reprint it, but I was thinking about doing a new edition because it's I released it fifteen years ago this year it came out in 2007 so i thought about doing like a 15 year anniversary but on top of everything else i'm doing right now yeah, i don't know if i'll got a lot going on plus my wife would be the one to design the new cover and she has no time either because she's busy running her business and because well, she in our, all the, in our last stuff. talk in the podcast you, you i mean you, you took it apart a little bit because you said it you know it was a little outdated or whatever but i'm telling you people it's a great horror movie. It's a fun horror movie. And this edition that he only has one copy of, but this edition in particular, you can pick your own ending. He's got like several different endings and they're all wild. So, uh, I, Those I, are the movies that it, I like. yeah, I know it's, it's an, know? it's an awesome concept. So a choose your own adventure. So, uh, I definitely check that out. Uh, I loved it. I was a sucker for those books as a kid. Choose your yeah. own horror adventure books, man. I had so many. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I like the Space Vampires one. That's the one that I had that I read front to back a hundred times. And, you know, we try and skip around and figure out, like, which was the best route to take before reading it completely. It's like, I don't want to go to this page if there's only a half a paragraph, you know, because I know I died. I need to go to the other option and cheated. That's uh, that's how shitty of a kid I was. But, um, yeah, when, when they created DVDs, and I learned how to use, like, DVD Studio Pro. Um, and, and whatever other burning programs there were, it's like you realize that you can create menus with multiple tangents off of a menu through a DVD player. And I was like, well, shit, why don't I just do that with the movie? And, um, you know, it was a very interesting concept because the actresses in the movie, they never knew what scene we were shooting because they had no idea what was going on. Because right. it's like in one scene they're dying and then in the next scene they're still alive. And they're like, wait a minute, how's that work? I'm like, it's choose your own adventure. One route you die, the other route you keep going, and you might die five. Wake up again. You didn't die. Yeah. You didn't die. Yeah. Just wake up. So, um, so yeah, it was really cool. It gave me a chance to do some fun stuff too. You know, we, I, I think I said this the last time I was on the show talking about just again. I'm a, I'm a kid of the '80s, so I'm a product of '80s horror. And '80s horror, it's sex. And, and and blood and guts. That's what sells a horror movie. And so I am. You almost, you almost said it. Nudity. You know, yeah, playing nudity. Yeah. So I'm nudity. a traditionalist in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's what horror movies should have. And um, and so when we did It's My Party, before I went and did all this reshots, all these reshoots and got additional footage of it because we needed nudity in the movie and more death scenes. And that's when we got the, the Tom Savini cameo was all after I shot principal on the movie. Mm -hmm. I had this this one actress, um, and then actually a friend of mine's wife, who um, was a exotic dancer, 
Uh, huh. I'm not, I'm not going to say who, cause I don't need, I don't know. But anyway, we don't uh, need these problems on this podcast, man. Don't come for us. Come for Tony, man. Oh, I, I mean, <laughs> she, was, she was damn proud of it and she should have been, you know, like if you got it, you might as well use it. But, uh, Jesus knew what he was doing. I'm yeah. just saying. So they, so I had this one actress <laughs> who had tried out for the movie and was willing to be topless. And then I had my friend's wife who was an exotic dancer and we're like, all right, well, we need to put nudity in this. There's really no spot for nudity. And I'm not mm-hmm. one of those. I don't really feel comfortable directing a sex scene. Yeah. It's just weird to me. So I was like, but I'm willing to do a shower scene. I'll do, I'll do whatever. I'll show a guy walking around with his dong hanging out. I don't care because I know that, that the women and, and, and whatever want to see that too. You know, they, they're these, my friend Katie has a, a comment. I forgot what it is. If she listens to this, she'll laugh. It's like a, a, a dong quotient or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> so it's like, I'm fine with any of that. And so we're like, okay, well, well, these two girls are willing to get topless. What can we do? And so we did this, this one choose your own adventure. It's a, actually an Easter egg on the DVD that you have to find. And there's like this scene where there's these two zombies that are topless. And it's, it's silly and it makes no fucking sense, but it was fun and it's an Easter egg. So it's one of those things that some fans are like, Oh, wait a minute. There's a not, there's a topless, uh, you know, the scene of these zombie women and it's like, where do I find it? And like, you got to look for it. So then you got all these people like looking around trying to find it on the DVD and it's... Well, I'm going to step away from the podcast for a minute. Let yeah. me keep going. Cause I, <laughs> it's gonna find, are you dying laughing right now? Like, I, I got to find zombie titties. <laughs> I was about to say, like, what are you about to go do, bro? It's going to take you longer than a minute to find it. Right. I'm, I mean, like, I don't know what he's doing. Pee Wee Herman in it over there. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, ho, oh, hey. Just kidding. But going back to the 80s rule, my mom, if we ever have an episode, I would love to watch a Jason movie with my mother because it's the best experience you will ever have watching this movie. I would invite my friends over because it's a whole different. She goes, oh, it's it's around again. She's about to die. You you get stoned, you boned, and you showed your cones. You're about to die. Okay, <laughs> that's the rule. You have to die. Stone. So literally, oh. yep. She goes, you got stoned, you boned, and then you showed your cones, you're out. You're dead, immediately dead. Did you just say you'll be right back? Oh, God, she's dead, immediately dead. But yeah, like that's just the rule, and no one knows that rule. I'm like, there has to be titties or it's not a horror movie. There has to be a pair of boobs, man. Yeah, and it's, and you know, obviously now the world is such a different place than it was four years ago, and, and so I understand that there's a different... Um, sediment towards nudity and sex and sexuality and all that. And, and it's like, we're, you know, we don't need to get political about any of this stuff, but uh, that's just, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what made horror movies fun. That's what made them mm-hmm. scandalous to me as a kid. I wanted to watch it because it's the shit I wasn't allowed to watch, you know? Yeah. And, and nowadays it's like you watch a horror movie and you know, like there, I know there's people out there that love like hereditary or, you know, it's midsummer, but it's like, I watch it and I'm like, okay, this is 90 minutes of people talking and being scared of shit that's not even there. And then the last two minutes you get like someone cuts their tongue or something and you're like, oh my God, blood. And then like the movie's over and I just I don't get it. Petrified. Also entertained with a slight comedic value to it, you know, gotta have all of it. Because Midsommar, I was sitting in the movie theater, I'm like, when the fuck is something going to happen, number one? Number two, this is just pissing me off because it's slow and I hate everyone in this movie. There's not one likable character, but that's a whole nother tangent. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I speaking of deep cut horror movies that are absolutely ridiculous, Rocktober Blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watched that finally. 
And I laughed so hard because he made that phone call and he's like, I want your wet hot. I don't even want to say it. Yeah. Blood or something. Yeah. That was so funny. I, that, that was a guilty pleasure um, movie for a, a little while with uh, with my co-director Ben on Skeletons in the Closet. He also edited High on the Hog and and uh, and we we used to hang out and we would watch that movie. And I don't even know why we did because that movie's god awful. But it's so bad. I think Charles, you have to watch it. It's on Shutter. You have to take the time. I'll check and it. And everybody out. in that movie in the movie, I, I swear to God, is from Marietta, Georgia. I about died. I about died. I was like, "Where are you from, darling? Like, why are you talking like this?" I love the theme song though, from the opening of the movie when they're playing that. Song. No, no, though. What when it's when you least expect it, I'll sing. Oh. And I'm back. And I'm back. <laughs> yeah. It's a good song. I love it. It's a good movie. Yeah. As much as it's silly, it's just one of those good ones. It's a cheer, cheery good time. You know, it's interesting to me because that subgenre should be built upon more. The rock and roll horror movie um, or the metal horror movie. You know, you think about like Blood and Roses. You think about Rocktober Blood. Mm. Um What's the other one? Uh, Is the Blood and Roses one the one where the kids started going to the concert um, and they kind of turned into weird? It was. It's basically Footloose, but a horror movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Then there was... Um, Rock and Roll Nightmare is the other one I was thinking of. What? There's another one. Which is like... The end of Rock and Roll Nightmare is like... It's it's like a puppet, like a it, it's like a, the guy. I think it's the lead singer. I've only seen it once, but I think it's like the lead singer of the band is like fighting this like the devil or this demon, and all it is is like a puppeteer, like <laughs> fucking like fun noodle guy, you know. And he's like just terrible. It's like a inflatable arm, inflatable like human. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like a ghoulie, but like eight feet tall. <laughs> it's just so dumb, you know. I've never seen Ghoulies. You should do yourself oh, yeah. a favor. Uh, that's ghoulies. a good one. Yeah. It's a classic. You have to have seen that. The first. There's the so first. many, so many movies people don't know about. I'm like, you haven't, you haven't lived, man. Like, if you haven't seen Monster Squad, come oh, on, oh. come on. I tried to get a Stephen King Rules T-shirt from the convention. The guy, I got it for it. him. I can get you one. I will literally order it for you and send it to you. I mean, that's cool. I know where to get it. I will literally get it and send it to you. Just need your size, man. Yeah, he was out of large. I was like, do you have any large of the Stephen King rules? Which, if you haven't seen it, there's a great play off of that. Charles would appreciate mm-hmm. it. There's one that says, um, Dean Koontz is, isn't bad either or something like that, <laughs> which I think is awesome. Um, <laughs> so, because I love Dean Koontz more than I think. You know what's funny is I've never read any of his books. Oh, uh, Stephen King nerd that I am, but I want to read Funhouse. I think that's my first start one. That's that I the read first Koontz book I read. That's what Charles said. Yeah, but yeah. everybody either loves it or hates it. It gets a weird balance. Well, how, you can tell when you read it, and I haven't read it. I mean, it's been years and years since I've read it, but looking back on it, I can kind of tell. You know. It's it's early in his writing career, so it's not mm-hmm. as full fledged and developed as things become in his later books. It's just a fun horror story, is what it is. So, Did, um, uh, from what I remember, it's been many many years since I read that book, but that was my first Koontz book, and I quite enjoyed it. Did you enjoy his Frankenstein? I think he did a Frankenstein. Um, did you do a couple? Few, about three, and then they made him into graphic novels as well. I think. Uh, well, I, I skipped those. I didn't read those. 
Because I keep seeing it because I go to the secondhand bookstore and I always find that one. And I'm like, dang, I need to buy this, but I don't know. <laughs> I The last Dean Koontz book I read was Mr. Murder. So I haven't read a Koontz book in probably 20-something years. But I, we're, Charles and I talked about last time, in my recommendation, you should read Whispers or Watchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Watchers is literally my favorite book of all time. Um, you said Whispers or Watchers? Yeah, those are my two favorite um, he's got a lot of others that are good too. Strangers is good. Face yeah. Face of Fear is good. The Bad Place is good. Um, Dragon Tears is really good too. The last Kuntz book that I can remember reading was called, and this was recently. It was one of his older books. It, uh, it was called The Taking, and I was really enjoying that book. I got three quarters of the way through, and I was looking at the page count, and I'm like how he's going to wrap all this shit up in 40 pages. There's no fucking way he's going to wrap this story up. So I'm thinking, is there a part two to this or whatever? And uh, I go look online, I'll see a part two. And I'm like, I'm starting to get worried. I'm like, how is he going to wrap all this shit? (laughs) He's got all kinds of stuff hanging out there toward the end of this book. And then I read the last 30, 40 pages. And it kind of pissed me off because everything was resolved, but you didn't know exactly how it was resolved. And I'm not going to say anything about the plot or anything in case anyone wants to read it. But I'm like, Dude, did somebody just fucking tell you you got to finish this book and we got to put it out there? I mean, I, <laughs> there that's was... what I felt when I read um, Joe Hill, his Heart Shaped Box. Oh, yeah. The yeah. last about 10% of the book, I was pissed. And I said, So did anybody have to go to therapy or, or, or no? I, I, I kind of need to know because this just doesn't seem like something you can come back from. Okay. Like, well, the somebody t- went to therapy and I need yeah. to know. Well, the taking was so well paced and it, and it gave a strong opening, which as a writer, I like a strong opening to pull you in. And then, you, I mean, everything was like suspenseful throughout the whole thing. And then as a writer, I'm reading it. I'm going, how is he going to wrap all this shit up? There's no way he's going to wrap all this shit up. But you got so many things hanging out there. And then the last 30 pages, he wraps it up. But it is so abbreviated and truncated. And when I read the end, I'm like, it's not really the end. There's another version of this sitting on somebody's desk that it that no one saw uh, that I would like to see, <laughs> please. <laughs> yeah, you would think if you've if you've gotten through however long that is, let's say 300 pages, why wouldn't you just take another hundred to finish it out right? You know, and give right. it the love it deserves. Um, yeah, but you, I, you, I digress. You'd be proud of me, Charles. Since the last time we talked, I've been trying to turn one of my ideas into a novel instead of writing it as a script. Awesome. I'm three pages in. (laughs) I want to be the shadow reader on that one. Better better than zero. My goal has been to get the opening scene done so that I can send it to you. And I would send it to both of you to read. But my goal was to do that, Charles. I just want to be like, here you go. Tell me what you think. And and I hope you like it. Because you inspired me, but damn it, if I can't like just I can't get it down. And I always thought I was decent at you know using descriptors and and exposition and stuff. And and in a lot of cases, I think I do an an okay job of it in my scripts. But like I went and I watched um, on Netflix. There's a a documentary called the the Nilsson tapes about Dennis Nilsson, who was a British serial killer. and he's re- he's basically instead of writing a book in prison he recorded tapes of him of himself talking about his murders and everything and the way he speaks is so eloquent and descriptive 
that I'm just like, I heard that I'm like, if I talked like that, I feel very comfortable writing a novel, but I feel like because I don't talk like this guy, I'm not going to be very good at this. And I still have pushed through three pages. I don't think it's bad, but I don't think it's by any means as descriptive as I had hoped it would be. You know, it's certainly not Stephen King quality. That's for damn sure. <laughs> It's funny when I write, I feel like I'm so much more eloquent and educated and I sound like Hannibal Lecter when I write. I'm just so beautifully flowing. And then in, in person, it's like, what's up, mofos? Like, it's just a weird scattered brain. I'm always nervous when I talk to people. I'm like, wow. Oh, I, yeah, I, I get that all the time. I mean, I talk with a deep Southern twang. I say the word ain't a lot. So ain't. it's ain't. Yeah, it's all right. It's I love right. it. I love a twang. I, I wish I had a, a bit of an accent. Obviously, people not from Chicago say you have a Chicago accent, but I don't hear it. I want a Scottish accent. I just really <laughs> like that accent. I haven't mastered it. There's the one accent I'm not really that great at, and uh makes me sad. Well, I, I, on, on the writing front, I will tell you, I've done something recently that I rarely do, and I'm going to go back to it. But I had an idea for a book as I was writing another book. And the idea for the new book was overpowering the writing of my current book. So I stopped writing my current book to go to the uh, new idea that's pounding me in the head. So uh, I rarely do that. And, uh, but this was strong enough that uh, I had to stop. And Elena was my shadow reader on this one. And she said, well, I could kind of tell by the dialect you were kind of getting tired of these characters in this world already. And you, she, what up, like 10,000 words? Well, the it. way you were doing the conversation, it just felt like you were making that conversation last a long time because you just, you weren't in love with the characters yet. And you could tell, like, you liked them, but you didn't, you weren't sure yet. Yeah. Tell. But uh, that was weird for me. It, it, it's happened once before, but it doesn't happen very often where something else pulls you in a completely different direction. So, no, I've done that. I totally understand what you mean by that. Yeah. But anyway. I feel like Elena asked me one question and then we went on like 20 tangents. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we did. I forgot what she asked. What was it, Elena? <laughs> well, she asked the movie question about when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. say the TV show that I used to love when I was a kid, even though I didn't, I only watched a handful of episodes, was Friday the 13th, the series. I think um, they made a series. Yeah, oh, did. yeah. It's not, Jason's not in it, though. Um, but it's it's an awesome concept. It's like these two cousins, I think it, I think they are, they go to, for some reason or another, they get called to their uncle's, he's got an antique um, store, I think in New York or somewhere, and they get, they like go to him, and it's a guy and a girl that are cousins, and he's he's like been robbed, and his antique store, he had this big safe in the back of it that had all these cursed items. And someone had like opened up the safe and basically like the Ghostbusters, you know, vault, all of these cursed items have gone out now into the world and his two, his nephew and niece now have to go out and find them. So they're kind of like Mulder and Scully and each mm -hmm. episode they go and find one of these cursed items that has found its way to somewhere and, you know, like there's a, a mirror that's cursed or there was a dollhouse that was cursed and... So it, it's really cool. There was only maybe like three seasons or something, and they're not, they don't age very well at all. Not not at all. But uh, they don't make as cool. many horror shows as they used to. You know, now there's, you don't, I know it sounds funny, but they don't make them like the, like the cheesy ones like they used to. Like, 
Forever Night, you know, and then I I like Dark Shadows, the old school Dark Shadows. That was that was my favorite thing on the planet of Earth as a kid. I could not get enough of that. But yeah, no, with Forever Night, like they don't make stuff like that. Man, I forgot about that. I forgot about that show. Dustin actually introduced it to me because we've been together for five years now. And uh, he said, you've never seen it. I said, no. He goes, you're going to love this. And I did. So yeah. then we bought it on DVD. And that's probably one of our favorite things. We still watch it all the time. There's a lot back from back in the day that, that I don't think like really transitioned at all. Like there was a show called Werewolf that was on like network television. I think it was on Fox for a couple of years in the 80s. And I, think I don't I remember, remember being that. very good, yeah. but as a seven-year-old, it was like, whoa, a werewolf TV show. This is awesome. And, you know. They, they had that other show that lasted maybe a season. I was a kid when it came out. Do you remember the show called Manimal? Uh, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, and I remember it as a kid, but it was kind of that concept, but it only lasted a season. It didn't hang around very long. But speaking of uh, horror-themed shows, and it's more on the comedic front, but uh, I want to get your take on uh, Rob Zombie and the Munsters. What do you? What, how do you think that's going to turn out? You know, I don't really know. Um, if it's going to be black and white, I think that'd be kind of cool. I think it'd be. I think it'll be weird if it's color. Um, I do too. Not, not that. I mean, they obviously transitioned the Adams family, and and it worked fine. But um, for some reason, and I don't know if it's because the behind the scenes photo they showed of Sherry Moon and and. Uh, Daniel Roebuck, and I don't remember who plays the the husband, but uh, you know it was uh, like Ferguson. Ferguson. Okay, what's his name? Jeff Ferguson. Uh, Is that his name? So I, I like Daniel Roebuck. I I've always liked him. He's he and I have have I helped him at a convention one year. He needed like some file sent or something or something recorded, and I helped him. And so he was really nice with me and stuff. And I actually saw him at, at Days of the Dead a couple you know last weekend. Um, so I thought I thought it was really cool that he's in it. Because he's just one of those actors that's been in everything. And you're like, I know that guy, but who is that guy? You know what I mean? Um, so I thought that that was really cool. I am a little sick of seeing Cherry Moon Zombie because I don't think she's a very good actress. Um, but, you know, to each their own. She's his wife and she's an actress. And if he wants to put her in his movies, by all means. But I don't know. Uh, I'll see it. I don't know if I, I'm not going to go to the theater and see it. I haven't been to the theater in over two well, years. So yeah, well, I, the rumor is it's coming out on Netflix uh, uh, or Peacock. With you on the black and white front, though, because I loved the monsters in black and white, and when I saw Monsters Go Home for the first time in color, when I got the DVD, I didn't like it as much. I was like, "What is this? This doesn't even look this like it just didn't look right." Oh, it's like it was too cheerful. I, I was like, "I need more darkness, yeah. just a little bit," because it's already. A family-oriented show, so it was already kind of silly, but the black and white kind of brought it back to the slight scare aspect. But like you said with Sherry Moon, I wouldn't have picked her to be Lily Munster. I think that's my only like real qualm with it. But if he keeps it to that same thing, I think, which he will because he is a big Munsters fan. But I don't know. I think the only movie that the last film with Sherry Moon that I actually really enjoyed her acting was her last performance as Baby Firefly in Three from Hell. I think she gave it a different aspect as far as her losing her mind a little bit more. So that was cool, but she's not the greatest actress ever on the world. Sorry, Sherry, no offense to you. I'm just saying. She isn't everything. No, I, I don't think many people disagree with you. I, I, I think that 
the vast majority of the audiences out there are not watching Rob Zombie's movies for the acting talents within them. I think it's just because they're they're music video looking and you know they have some cool visuals and and obviously he's on the more gritty side of things traditionally speaking with his work. Mm -hmm. So I personally I honestly don't know if I like any of his movies, even though I don't mind some of them. I, I, I like House of a Thousand Corpses, but it's a blatant ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I, Slash Rocky Horror. What's that? Plus, Slash Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But there's no comedic element to it like yeah. Rocky Horror, obviously. Um, and I, I, I'm not as huge of a fan of Devil's Rejects because I don't really like torture movies, and that's all that movie is essentially in my mind. Um, I don't mind Lords of Salem. I just think it's a little too weird, but I, I don't. It's a music video. That's why. It's not a movie. It's a music video. Yes, I agree. But it is pretty cool. My second viewing of it, I was like, okay, I really, I do enjoy this me. film more. Um, that was me. And his Halloweens, the only thing I like about his Halloweens is the violence. I think he really upped the the, the R rating value of, of Halloween and, and now these new Halloween movies. I think that they really took something from Rob Zombie's as, as motivation and said, look, zombie went nuts, especially in Halloween 2. Michael Myers is so fucking brutal in that movie. And oh, I yeah. think that in these new ones, David Gordon Green said, let's do that because Michael Myers needs to be vicious because he's so silent that I don't think people are going to be really scared of him if he's not brutal too. And um, God, the kills in the new Halloween movies are so cool. Um, so, but yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge Rob Zombie fan in terms of him being a filmmaker. So, well, I'm going to bring up another film that uh, Elena and I talked about in a previous podcast, and I put her on the God. spot with uh, who, who was that we had on the podcast that day? Anyway, the new Texas. <laughs> the, 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 I'm talking about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Fuck that movie. <laughs> Fuck that really? movie. I'm so pissed off about it. Couple cool kills. This is the problem I have with certain Shutter and Netflix movies. Damn you, Charles. I hate when you do this to me because now you know I'm going to get angry. Tangent time. So I think my main issue, where the hell did this old lady come from that is guarding Leatherface? Okay. Why does he like her so much? Why is she like a mother figure? What is this adoption agency? Like, did she adopt Leatherface as a grown adult? Has he already, did he kill all the kids in the, in the orphanage? I have questions, you know? Second off. I know this old ass lady from the first Texas Chainsaw did not get held up in the air with the chainsaw and still have enough, you know, to laugh hysterically and shoot him. I... Not to the fact that, like, going into that, when they reintroduced Sally Hardesty, I was like, okay, they're going the route of the new Halloween movies. They're reintroducing mm -hmm. their heroine. That's cool. Even though she's no Laurie Strode by any means. But right. I literally was more invested in her character in the initial sections of showing her than I was mm -hmm. with with uh, J Jamie Lee Curtis in the new Halloween movie because I just I thought it was kind of dumb. I was like, you're basically doing with her what you did with uh, um, right with uh, Sydney Prescott in in the new in the newer mm -hmm. Scream films yeah. where she's this recluse who's just got an alarm system and you know. And only you make her a little more like Ellen Ripley. And it's like, Laurie Strode was never Ellen Ripley. When I when I use my horror heroine comparison, it's always you're either a Laurie Strode or you're an Ellen Ripley. And now you've got Laurie Strode becoming Ellen Ripley. I don't see that at all, you know? Mm -mm. But That's a, yeah. But the problem I had with the Texas Chainsaw is that it's like you, you have this Sally Hardesty character and 
all of a sudden she just gets killed and that's the end of it. It's like she just dies like that. Like she didn't even put up a fucking fight. Like No, there was no like she did not die a true hero's death. And I think that's what pissed me off. I'm like, if you're gonna bring back a very classic character, please do it the respect that it is deserved. I need a dramatic death. She had to punch him in the eye, saw an arm off, something cool, but like she just she got killed in the first ten seconds. Oh, and, and I mean, getting gutted with a chainsaw and held up in the air is, is pretty awesome, but there's yeah. no way you're going to survive that, especially if you're a 75-year-old woman. I'm sorry, that ain't going to happen. And I don't Even care. in the horror-verse. Even in the horror I was horror-verse. so excited when those kids were dying, though. I, I did not like those characters. You do not go into old-school Texas. I'm so sorry. You just don't. And then just just redo everything and make it just this... Mo- like. Are you surprised there's rebel flags? It's fucking Texas. Like they like it's fucking Texas. What what? Well, and that's that the whole thing. That's what I loved about it was that you've got all these millennials that are yeah. all, you know, super fucking soft and sensitive and shit. And, and again, you know what? Teach their own, obviously. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, the, the whole thing with, with him being like, You're gonna get canceled, fuck you, you're getting your head sawn off or whatever. But that shit was funny. I found that absolutely hysterical. I was like, Okay, that's funny. Yeah, that was but also the blood coming underneath the door in the in that that I loved. Thematically, I thought that was really pretty. That, that makes me mad because I have that scene in a script that I've been wanting to shoot for fourteen years now. And I'm like, ah, well, I'm gonna do it anyway. But um I just I the thing that I, I thought was funny because it is, in my opinion, a a commentary on society is you've got these kids that are all, you know, these, these what do they call them, flowers or whatever, you know, the yeah. sensitive flowers, millennials. And it's like they go to Texas, which is obviously a very pro-gun state. You literally have four different scenes, four, not one, not two, but four different scenes in this movie where there is a character not five feet away from a gun and they not don't they don't know how to use the gun or they don't even think to grab the gun and defend themselves instead they run the other direction and what happens you get your fucking ass killed guess what you deserve it and that is why i am a proponent of having a firearm because if you need it you're goddamn right i'm going to use it because i want to be able to survive you know Somebody was like, why would you shoot somebody if they came in your house? First of all, they ain't supposed to fucking be there. That's number one. Number two, that's their own goddamn fault for coming in my house like that. You got to be careful because you can get, I mean, and that's the weird thing is that, you know, somebody's trespassing. You should be able to shoot them if they're trespassing, which means if somebody- You're in my house. Yeah. Well- What are you doing in my swamp? Well, it's a little different uh, walking through someone's yard and- pulling a window open and crawling into the house. If you're pulling a window open and crawling into the house at two o'clock in the morning, bang, bang. Sorry. Yeah. Like you should not. But anyway, with, with Texas also, what, what school shooting, they didn't go into any of her story. I kind of was slightly interested. She was slightly likable. She had somewhat of a final girl aspect to her survivor's guilt from something in the past. Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, they, they killed off the one character that I kind of thought was cool, which was the, the Texan, really. I mean, he was basic. Yeah. I mean, I liked him, and I was like, you're going to kill the smartest guy in the... Well, he wasn't smart, but... He doesn't even use his AR. He's got this AR, and he doesn't use it. And then the girl who's, the, who's in the school shooting victim, she picks it up, and she doesn't even know how to turn a safety off. And it's just like... It's, which is probably a good thing that she didn't, because if she would have shot it, it would have fucking had her. She would have flown. She would have shot her own self. Yeah, she would have shot her eye out. 
yeah. she would shoot her eyes. And like straight up. It, and, and obviously this is spoiler central, but like at the end of it, the, and, and the, another funny commentary on society. It's like the fact that she's hanging out of the sunroof of this Tesla as it's self-driving out of the town. I'm just, if, I, I'm like, oh. you're you're just like watching this happen, and he's not chasing you, even though your car is going ten miles an hour because it's a fucking battery-powered car. Like it, it was, I was just like. <laughs> Going back to the rules of the Friday the 13th movies, he may be moving a second. Just, he's still going to kill you. Yeah, he's going like, to you. You don't go slow. You run fast. Maybe the Tesla is bulletproof. I don't know. Yeah. If that scene was at the beginning where he was holding her sister's head up, I thought, I think I probably would have liked the movie a lot more. If that was the start of the film, that that was a perfect kill. Why save that? I mean, that was the best kill in the movie. But I was like, man. If you put this in the beginning, I might have been a little more invested. But Dustin and I were just sitting there. I was like, "Is this going to get any better?" Because I don't like it. I don't. I don't. I don't like it. I mean, there <laughs> was there was a lot of good scenes in that movie, like a lot of good yeah. kill scenes. I I actually really enjoyed the first half of that film when he escapes and he just rips those dudes apart in the ambulance wow. and then kills the girl. And I. I was like, that to me was was really good and well-paced and very tense, especially since it takes place in the daytime. You're in this beautiful yeah. field with this beautiful sunset, and you're scared shitless because you're like, dude, where's this guy at? And is she going to move? Is she going to get into the field? Is he going to chase her? No, she just gets her ass killed in the fucking front <laughs> of the ambulance and... That's it. I like um, I like the part where he threw the freaking did he what did he throw down the stairs? He threw something. And the way she fell backward, I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. I uh, I can remember, but like you said, the last half I thought it got a little silly. I said your chainsaw would have broke by now. Chainsaws are not that strong. It just would have quit running. It does not go through floors like that. I'm so sorry. Second off, bodies don't like she did. Did you not know that dead bodies don't? You know, they they float and. You should have checked that. And why? Why would, he, the double tap. why would he hide his chainsaw on the wall behind his bed? Like, just just put it in a box in the basement. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be in the fucking wall. Like, oh, we're gonna make this. He's that strong. Cool. I'm like, were you really stopping him there? Were you really? Yeah. Were you really stopping him when? Yeah, you the old lady's like, put this away. You'll never need it again. But I don't want to throw it away. I want to hold on to it. It's a keepsake. Okay. And it's been it's, in the wall for 30 years. Yeah. It's going to crank right up. I want to know up. that story. I'm like, give me that story. Where he went after the first movie. I want to know that. Like, touch on that. If it's creepier, go for it. But I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to me how, you know, as an independent filmmaker, I know just how difficult it is to get money to make a movie. To get a film greenlit. Yeah. And then from being greenlit, getting it produced and then getting it edited, and then getting it sold, and getting it distributed. And it's like, when I see stuff like that, my wife always makes fun of me because she's like, you watch some terrible movies. Why do you waste your time? And it's like... Because they're excellent. Well, because, well, I don't, I don't, generally I don't love bad horror movies. I watch them with my friends if we're getting drunk or whatever and enjoying them. <laughs> but... I, I try and find movies that I really love. Like I watched The North Man last night and I really enjoyed that. It? I really enjoyed it. It's super brutal. It's it's the perfect Viking movie. Um, but it's like, you know, you watch something like that and, and you say you say, Okay, here's here's a pretty cliched story. A guy's dad gets killed and he goes after the guy who killed his dad. Vengeance story. It's I mean, you've seen it a hundred times. But 
it's what do they do to make it different, to make it unique. And, um, and I just, I feel like there's so many films out there now that get made that you look at and you're like, there's nothing original about this film. The script is not good. The characters are piss poor and you don't care about any of them. The dialogue is terrible. The effects aren't impressive. So why was this movie made? Who gave them money to make this, you know? And I don't understand that, especially the bigger budget ones, because to me, if you've got the money to make something, make something good. You know, you don't have to make a shitty movie because you have the money to make it good. I just don't get it. You know, I miss the old. I, I know it sounds I'm reminiscing. I miss the nineties era of horror movies because I know that we have to touch on, you know, the newness of society and the changes that we've made with technology, but I'm tired of horror movies where the cell phones are such a big fucking aspect of the movie. You have to film everything. The kids are locking their doors with the cell phone. The parents aren't there. I just don't like this aspect of, of you know, there's always a cell phone present. There's always a computer. There's always social media. There's YouTube. It just makes me so upset. I just miss that 90s era, you know, everything was, you didn't have you didn't have a house phone you were fucked or a pager or anything you just didn't have it it was just it made the plot line a lot more interesting and the characters had more more of a chance to develop themselves and have more conversations with each other rather than everything happening through hearsay and a text message you know yeah i mean technology's definitely changed the way humans interact and and yeah. humans are personally 100 percent. but it's it also creates a lot more difficulties as a writer of a horror film yeah. because you have to find ways around the communication and technology of, of, of commonplace today. You know, um, that's what I love about old films. And it's funny cause you know, you're obviously younger than Charles and I, you know, Charles is in his fifties. I'm in my forties and I don't know how old you are, but, um, I'll be 29. You're, what's that? I'll be 29 in June. So, so you're, you're about a decade younger than me. And it's like you, you're you're thinking back to the '90s movies, like how I think back to this to the '80s movies, and yeah, the '90s. I don't, in general, love that decade of horror because it was very flashy and overproduced, in my opinion, compared to '80s movies. But I I still love what you say, where characters had to talk to each other. They only had access to a, a, a landline phone. They had a car that ran with gas. And the doors had to be unlocked with a key. So if there's a guy chasing you with a machete, you got to get your key out. And you got to put it in the keyhole and you got to not fumble it. You know, I mean, it's shit that doesn't exist anymore. You click it and, and it closes yeah. and locks or opens and lights come oh. on and it says hello. And, you know, some of them you back. click it and the damn car starts for you. No, they didn't even have fucking alarm systems in half the movies I watched when I was a kid. You know, I was like, I watched the 70s, 80s horror. Like we did. They didn't have that shit. They just had, you know, people still left their houses unlocked. Like, I just come right on in. Yeah. Oh, we, we do too, but that's just my wife doesn't know how to unlock doors or lock doors. Sorry, babe. <laughs> I give her shit all the time. I'm like, hey, you were born in a barn. You keep leaving the door open. I don't get it. Yeah, no, well, it freaks me out. I, I will. Mm, well, anyways. You. Do you have like other questions for me? I feel we yes, I'm sorry. We went out on a million tangents. I was going to ask you as a director and as, you know, with your script writing, what is one of the biggest um, challenges that you have? Do you enjoy more of the creation process or do you love the end editing process and everything like that? Like what is your struggles and favorite parts? The personal struggle is, is just sitting down and, and getting motivated to write. Um, I said this to Charles last time. I, 
I I enjoy writing if I'm in the if I'm in the groove. If I'm not in the groove, I hate it, and I have such a hard time kickstarting my desire to write, which sucks because I really do. I, my my background is in writing, and you know I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I was a writer before a filmmaker, and um, I just I. I hate the fact that it's such a struggle for me personally to write because there's only one thing preventing me from writing and that's my own motivation. But in terms of actually making a movie, it's just, it's raising the money and getting a team of people together and making sure everybody's happy and comfortable and, and whatnot. Because, you know, what, like I told Charles in the last recording, it's like, you can sit in your office or on your couch and you can write a novel and that's all you have to do. You don't need to spend any money. You can build as big of a world or as small of a story as you want because it's all up here and it's free, you know? Whereas when you make a movie, you know, I, I tried, I tried making a movie this, this last winter and I had raised a hundred thousand dollars for it. And it's very simple plot, three characters, one location, and I wanted to go and do it. And I had friends of mine who are producers who have made a lot of movies in the last five years say, you know, this isn't a good idea to do this because, you know, you're going to need more than a hundred grand and you're going to want to get this and this and this lined up and you got to worry about this. And, and I was just like, you know, it, it's disheartening because it's like, all I want to do is make another movie. I haven't directed in five years. Mm -hmm. So all I want to do is get behind the camera again. But I agree that I want my cast and crew to be comfortable. I want everybody to be paid well so that they're happy to be there I, and not stressed out. I want my effects and my locations and my, my production team to have enough money and time so that everything looks good and sounds good and feels good. And that all takes so much work and effort that um, when I was a younger person, it was a lot easier to do because I not only had more free time, but I had more energy. And now it's like, you know, on top of the house construction that I've been talking to you guys about before we started recording, you know, on top of that, it's just everything else. I work 50 hours a week overnights. I do the bloody disgusting stuff. It's just hard. So that's, I'd say that's the answer easily, you know? Yeah. The balance aspect. I have that same struggle because, you know, working in the medical field, you, you can't be a weirdo and talk about serial killers with people because they're going to not want to talk to you. So you just kind of have to keep that on the inside a little bit. Hide your tattoos, you know. And then when people see me on, you know, social media, they're like, wait, you do this and then you do this and then you 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 have like crazy, you're a ghoul? I don't understand. Like, who, what is this? Like, you don't, you don't talk about this. Because I, I don't know if you guys are asking because you want to know or you're just being nosy and you just, you know. So yeah, I think balancing that, but like you said, working so many hours and then coming home and trying to create something that you've had in your head for so long, but not having the energy to do it, you know, it sucks. Yeah. Well, and like I, like I said, I work 50 hours a week overnight. So I, I work 48 hours, 12 hour shifts, four days a week. And it's like, I have time at work technically to sit and work on stuff if I was to do it, but I don't because it's three in the morning and it's like, I don't have the motivation to sit here and try and write a script right now because I'm tired and I just exactly. have to stay awake and make sure this place doesn't blow up, you know? And the environment that you're in uh, at the time, it, it does so affect much. your mindset. So I'm putting myself in your shoes. How would I feel if 
Charles, write this novel while you're sitting here trying to oversee operations at a plant or whatever the job is. Uh, no, nah, that ain't going to happen. Even if I have the time to sit there and do it, I'm not going to be focused on that. Uh, it's not, it won't be my area of focus because I'm not comfortable and, and I'm not in my safe place. That makes sense. That it does. That was the biggest argument that I that I had. Um, or the biggest um ammunition that I had when I discussed, you know, getting an office in my house with my wife because we only have so many bedrooms, so there's only so much space, you know, to to have dedicated to certain things. And I really wanted a space where I could go, close the door, put on a horror movie soundtrack on my record player, and if I want to sit and try and write or edit or whatever, or even just think about horror i can because i've got posters on the wall and i've got you know my awards and accolades and stuff and the motivation you know the the inspiration the stuff that makes you you know remember why you care about this genre in the first place exactly i mean you look behind both of you guys and you are surrounded by things that you love and make you feel comfortable it's the the, the feng shui, I know I'm not pronouncing that right, but, you know. That's the proper way. We don't. Yeah, you're, this is Georgia. You can say that. it like that. We're in Georgia. <laughs> that fancy redecorating that y'all call, you know, that feng shui. Yeah, exactly. So, that there feng shui. I, gotta, I still got to do it in this room. I just have the walls painted. I got to do the rest of it, but I'm, that is the I'm most slowly going to get there. to do. So satisfying because I finally saw pictures of when we first moved in. And the walls were so bare. I said, oh, we had nothing in here. It's so empty. <laughs> but um, we once we move, which if the housing market wasn't the way it is, we would. But if you could only see what surrounds me, except this part Same right here. here. There's costumes here. There's like a mess over here. I have ruined my bathtub by distressing a costume with dye in it. Like, it's just, there's too much going on behind me. It's my makeup table. There's body paint over here. There's an airbrush. Up. Like, it's just, it's, it's chaos. So well, I just, that's I exactly what Tony's, that's what Tony's talking about. You got your yeah. stuff all around you. I mean, I'm looking, I've got my, my record player over here. I've got my stuff on the wall all the way around me. And this is my safe place. This is where I like to write. This is where I like to One day and they were like, you decorated really early for Halloween. And we were like, no, this is how it that's looks. That's not Halloween. It's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. So, I, and my, my biggest struggle right now, aside from trying to figure out how I'm going to do my desk and, and my work area in, in here is what posters am I going to hang on the wall? I don't exactly. have so much wall space. And I have so many posters that I want to put up. Um, and, you know, I need it. It still needs to be tastefully done. Um, because this is also our guest bedroom, so it can't be just you Hey, know. dude. <laughs> My beat laboratory is a guest bedroom. I got a full-size bed in here. Now, we haven't had very many Falcons. guests. I got Falcons. I got Falcons. I got, yeah, well, uh, I got a fucking Fal Atlanta Falcons bedspread and <laughs> sheet on this thing because I take naps back here. But anyway, I digress. This is about Tony. It's not about me. Yeah, but, so, but but we're relating to each other. That's why we're oh, yeah, couching yeah. here. It's the height of it. This is what horror nerds do, as you will. Yeah, like I needed a couch so that I could take a nap in my office too. Because if I'm in here working and I just want to close my eyes for a few minutes, that's what I got to have. And like I said, I got to pick the color on the walls, and that's I'm right. excited to put posters up that kind of match this. You know, my my last my last writing space was blue, so I had the Fright Night poster. I had. Um, you know, just one like Friday Thirteenth Part Three because they just match the color and the tone of the room, and I'm I'm all about just having that comfort level. So I gotta go through my posters and see what kind of has a greenish hue to it. 
Um, oh, you have that goth green color, that very deep forest green. Yeah. I love that color. It's called Amazon green. It's it's really cool. In some light, it's kind of more blue. In others, it's green. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited to get this, to get my, my comfort zone set up and, and try and get back to creating in some capacity. I've got, you know, stuff to do for Bloody Disgusting. And obviously, I've got scripts or a novel that I want to try and get going on. And Nice. So definitely excited about all that. Well, if and when, and, and I know it it may be a while because you have so much going on. But if and when you do get, uh, if you if you decide to go into the podcast realm, let us know. We'd love to be guests on your show at some point because uh, we, we we love talking to fellow horror nerds for sure. And, yeah, uh, I just like my free time too much. I yeah, you know, I I have a hard time. Like I used to get done bartending and then I would just sit on my computer and well, I'm talking about future. If it's yeah. down the road, you say, you know what? I still, still though, if you're on the phone, I'm on the phone all day long. The last thing sometimes I do when I come home, like, I don't want to talk to anybody. And that's the day when everybody calls you and it's not about something short. They really need something. And you're yeah. just like, yeah, I like messing with Elena. A couple weeks ago, uh, we this took, is peaceful though. It's yeah, people yeah. that I like to talk. Yeah, well, to, we so took this a little fine. We, we took a little break from podcasting for a while because we had so many episodes in the can. And uh, I texted her on a Thursday at like six thirty. I said, "Are you joining us or not?" She's like, "Oh shit, do we have a show?" <laughs> I was like, "Dude, I was about to shit myself. Like, I'm over here in bed. I'm just like looking like a sloth." What? <laughs> Got home from work. I was like, "I'm gonna take it." Yeah, this is gonna be great. I said, <laughs> uh, took some cold medicine for my allergies. I was like, I'm about to go to bed. I'm done for the day. So uh, I'm sorry, bro. Yeah. But, um. So I have a random question. Um. I thought about it earlier. If you were to remake a a movie from the past into a horror film, what would what movie would you choose? And I say this because I thought about what if someone made Grease into a horror movie? Oh. You know, it's interesting. I don't know why I thought about that. I was like, you know, that would be a real... I'd watch the shit out of that. I'm going to be on a podcast on Sunday that uh, my buddy Brett does. And I think mm -hmm. it's called the Necromancers Podcast. I, I, I'd have to check. But um, he and his co-host, they either do a romantic comedy or they do a horror movie, which is such an interesting dynamic. <laughs> um, so, funny. so they do one or the other for each episode and they talk about them. And one of the things that they do is they talk about if that movie were to be the opposite genre, if the horror movie were to be a romantic <laughs> comedy or the other way around. And so I picked for our show, we're doing Creature, which is one of the 80s alien ripoff movies. Um, mm -hmm. Actually really good. I, I really enjoyed it. It was directed by William Malone, who did the uh, House on Haunted Hill remake um, and Fear.com. You liked that remake. That. Yeah, I did too. I like that remake too. Um, and so it's a cool 80s rip off to Alien, like I said, and it's everywhere. You can watch on Tubi or Amazon or whatever, I'm pretty sure. But uh, so we're going to do that. And that's one of the things that they wanted to do is like, you know, Tony, will you will you pitch us? Can we pitch you an idea for a movie and, and like change the genre up or whatever? So if it, let me think. Um, I mean, that's a tough question because I'd have to think back to like my favorite movies from a kid, from being a kid that I would love to remake, you know, as a horror movie. I think, 
Revenge of the Nerds would probably be a cool horror movie, and I love Revenge of the Nerds. Um, Especially in the space scene. Oh, dude, you could have murdered her in there. It would have been great. That's, yeah. See, that would be cool. Um, what else do I love as a kid that that would have been a cool horror movie? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's tough because, like, my favorite movies as a kid was Karate Kid and Back to the Future and Top Gun. And I don't, I won't even watch them anymore because I saw them so many times as a kid that I wore them out. I just, I don't care to ever see Karate Kid ever again. Um, <laughs> Back to the Future. How do you feel about them remaking Top Gun? Yeah, uh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> what did you say? Yeah, they're remaking Top no, Gun. Did you not know it's, that? It's no, not it's a remake. It's a sequel. It's not? It's a oh, sequel. I thought they were remaking it. I saw I was like. No, no, no. Tom Cruise is reprising his role. He's going to be like one of the instructors at the top. I got Academy. scared there for a minute because I thought it was a whole ass remake. I was like, don't do this. No, no, no. no, he, no. It's a continuation. Yeah, it's, it's a continuation. Okay. Now, he's one of the instructors and Goose's son is going to the Academy. But, yeah. and, and I think he holds, he holds like animosity towards Maverick because he believes that he caused his father's death, which... It's fucking stupid because it's like you weren't even born when your father died, so you don't even know your father. So does it matter? Like, you know, like I don't know. But anyways, I I heard somebody saw the first ten minutes of it on Facebook. One of my friends and they said it is one of the. It's terrible. Like the dialogue, everything is just terrible. So <laughs> really trying to cash in on that franchise, you know. Well, you could do a whole series of horror movies with Porky's. You know, Porky's, Porky's Revenge. You get, you get all kinds of, and the titties are already there, so you're good. Too bad Bob. Porky's has a lot of titties. Yeah, it's too <laughs> bad Bob Clark didn't try and do that transition because he did Black Christmas. He certainly could have directed, yeah. you know, the Porky's horror film. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, any any of those movies would be cool. Um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit would be an interesting horror movie. Now that I'd watch the shit out of. I, I was obsessed it. with that movie. Can't watch it. The shoe and when Christopher Lloyd drops the shoe in the acid, <laughs> I'll 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 never ever watch that again. That traumatized me. That, that was uh, I fast forwarded that every time it happened, I couldn't watch it. I was like, this breaks my heart. I don't like this. Can't watch it. I love that little shoe. That shoe was so cute. All I wanted was to take that shoe home with me and take care of it and, and make it my favorite Ew. little pet and Never wear it. Just hang out with it. You know, a shoe. Oh, my God. That's well, the amount of fictional deaths for cartoon characters and animals that have made me so irate. Like, in John Wick, I was like, I'm done. I'm not watching this fucking movie anymore. I don't even want to watch it. Who the fuck? Who, who thought? No, no. Well, let's 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 face it. He kills about 400 people because his dog got killed. So, I think it's... I think he yeah. got him back. I think he, yeah, he got him back. Yeah. He got him back. You know. Baba Yaga. But, yeah. Uh, yeah my I, daughter... I, I can't handle people killing animals or killing cartoon mm -hmm. animals. I, I can you can kill millennials all day for me yeah. in a book and in a movie. Just don't kill an animal or a fucking cartoon shoe, please. Kill off your entire high school class in a fire. Cool. Good for you. You know, they deserve good for you. You know, I'm happy for you. But you kill an animal, you I hope you die. Well, I remember taking my daughter to I think it was a Disney movie as a kid. Uh, she was a kid. Is it the Princess and the Frog? I can't remember. Sure, but the freaking Firefly died in it. There's some. Oh, firefly. I remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, she cried like a baby in the theater. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> I cried at. Um, I loved Hunchback of Notre Dame as a kid, and I just, I was really sad that she didn't end up with the Hunchback. It made me sad. I can't watch Disney movies because they make me cry, and and I freak. 
Every fucking time. I forget. Every time. The only one I'll watch is uh, Robin Hood because I loved it as a kid because nobody died in it that you cared about, you know? And it's like, <laughs> my wife makes fun of me. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I can't because people always die in them and it makes me sad. Like, I don't want bands. That's the opening movie. Right. Little John and Robin Hood are walking through the yeah. forest. Yeah. Yeah. I still whistle that fucking song, though, you know? I'll do that. Tony Watts is our first musical guest on Horror 421, the podcast. I thought, I thought uh, you've had a couple other. You had Jenna. Yeah, no no one's performed. No one's performed. We tried to get I one to perform whistle, on, so our, on, our, actually... on our last recording, and he, he, he didn't want to. So No. Uh, that was sad. It was sad. I don't get that. If I was good at performing musically, I would do it all the time. Yeah. And one of them I was so starstruck with, it didn't matter anyway. Uh, she's one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, you got her picture on the wall behind you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I got a backstage pass coming up in Detroit, so I'll be backstage with them. When they... Don't embarrass us, Charles. Huh? Oh, I'm, I'm going to embarrass the shit out of you. So Don't do it. Sorry. Please don't. <laughs> Just think of me going, you know. You can you can be you can be creepy, but not that creepy. Hey, hey, I, I was never creepy, but uh, it was fun. He's gonna oh. go full white girl mode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god! It's okay. It's not as bad as the video of me at a Rob Zombie concert, and he was singing, and I got to touch him, and I freaked out. I was like, Oh my god! I touched Rob Zombie! Oh my god! And you can hear me, and the lady looking over at me is like, This bitch is crazy. Oh my god. I hate watching that video. <laughs> So cringy. I don't think I've ever been like that starstruck before. I I worked on Road to Perdition when they were shooting in Illinois, and I met Jude Law, and I had breakfast with Sam Mendes, the director, and met Conrad Hall, who's one of the all-time great cinematographers, and I was five feet from Tom Hanks, and it's like that Tom Hanks maybe – that was a little. Oh, like, I would have just passed out. Yeah, he's he's like larger than life celebrity. That'd be like oh, Johnny oh, yeah. Depp, but dude, um, but like I'd embarrass him. John Carpenter. Like when I met John Carpenter, and he is my idol. I absolutely love John Carpenter, and I when I'm you know I, I try my best not to be nervous or, or fanboy like because you know even when I meet these people at the conventions, it's like. Like when I was talking to Brink Stevens, because she had a table right across from me. So she came over on Saturday and was asking me about Screenbox and stuff. And I was like, oh, it's actually really cool. We have Slumber Party Massacre on there. And I play the shit out of it because it fits really well into a short time slot because it's only an hour and 15 minutes long. great movie. And she was really nice to talk to and everything. But I'm like, it's like I sit there and I always say to these people, I'm like, oh, I grew up watching your movies. And I'm like. Do they like hearing that? Like when you tell a when you tell a veteran, "Thank you for your service," and they're like, "Secretly, we fucking hate it when you tell us that." And it's like, well, yeah. But I truly mean that. I I respect the fuck out of the fact that you went and put your life on the line to protect my freedom. You know, I respect you and I appreciate it. So thank you. You know, saying that yeah, to like Frank Stevens, I grew up watching you in movies. And, yeah. You know, I love that. Did, does she hate hearing that, or does she really appreciate hearing that? If I was a 60-year-old filmmaker and was at a convention and someone came up to me and said, I loved It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, I'd be, like, super touched by that. You know, that's that's all I hope for is to be able to continue doing these things 15, 20 years from now and have people care about, you know, what I've created. Well, I do care about what you created, and I do love it. It's my party and I'll die if I want to. And I will say you're an uber talented guy. 
and I wish you nothing but the best. Uh, uh, you know, I want you to get whatever projects you have working on. I want you behind the camera because, uh, Elena, go back and watch uh, Tony's movies, the the ones you've missed because they're really good. The Rake, I told him on the last podcast, something I didn't realize through the first watch is this time I had headphones on and I was watching it. And the score of that movie just was like, it, it built such tension and he went through the story of the score in the previous podcast, but every aspect, I mean, he looks for things and he, he does things that, uh, uh, that really make you think. So, you know, I, I appreciate Tony's skill and I'm not just saying that if, if I didn't think he was very skillful, I, I'd keep my mouth shut. I think he's a great director and I'm really interested in, in seeing what he has coming down the pipeline. So, uh, just keep doing what you do, man. I appreciate that. I, I was like, is this your way of trying to wrap this up because we're at an hour and a half? <laughs> oh, no, but I mean, we can, we can segue into that if you want, but I'm, I'm fine today. Um, uh, but yeah. No, uh, I, I sincerely appreciate that. I, and you know, I feel like a broken record when, when people compliment me and I tell them how I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I don't want people to think that I, that I don't care when they compliment what my friends and I have created because it's, it, it's obviously a labor of love. I am a horror fan. It's it's what I care about more than anything, except for my wife and my family on this planet. Exactly. And exactly. Um, all I want to do is is spend the rest of my life working in the horror business, whether it's movies or the TV or whatever it is. I just I love the horror genre so much, and um, it's it's been an, an amazing sixteen years to be able to create stuff with other people that are talented in different areas that I am not talented in and see what we build together and how it turns out, you know, as, and see how it grows and evolves because a movie is such a process. It's not just a thing. It's, it's a, it's a growth, you know? And um, so I, I just, I really love that, that there are people such as you out there, you know, both of you who, who watch what I've done and, and support what I've done and, and again, what my friends have helped create, you know, they're the talented ones, as I always say. I just, I just, I'm good at organizing things. I get everybody together and I put the right people in the right places. And then they're the ones who do all the artistic shit. You know, to me, directing, it might be artistic in the sense of talking with your actors and getting the performances that you need. And, and so I'm not, I'm not saying that there's a, a, a short sightedness in that regard. I just, I absolutely think that if it wasn't for, my friend Rob Stern, who's my cinematographer, and uh, you know my my friend Jason Kane, who did all my special effects work, like the Rake Monster, Elena. You want to see some cool fucking special effects? Watch the Rake, the monster that the team created for that movie is so fucking cool, um, and that's the shit that really wets my whistle and and makes me want to keep doing this. You know, making movies for people like me who love a good horror movie and. Don't want to go and sit for an hour and a half watching some bag of shit that you realize that person who wrote that script doesn't give a fuck about the horror genre. They're just writing this because it's a paycheck. And this is some idiot producer who bought the rights to this franchise and is making another one because they want to cash in on the franchise tag. And, you know, that's just not who I am. And there's a lot of people like me out there. I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, the only filmmaker out there who makes horror movies because I'm a horror fan. But I just... You know, it's, it's all I want to do. So yeah, well, we we we've had a we've had a couple of those people that. on the show. So yeah, 
we, we being able to work on those sets too with the low budget horror films i'm like you have no idea how hard it was to raise that money you know that's someone's baby that went into it that time you know the the amount of people that worked on it you know that didn't get paid too because of the lack of funds for the film but had such a good time because the people you get for those movies are in it because of pure enjoyment or they're just starting out and you could tell they're so passionate to be there and it was fu it's fun to be a part of that and be able to be a part of that passion project you know and that was so rewarding that i you know was able to do that you know last year and um, you get to meet so many cool people, but people genuinely do it because they love it, but they do it on top of their regular jobs. And, you know, people don't understand how hard it is to accept a compliment sometimes when people tell you how grateful they are for you to do what you do and how how they recognize you with your work. It's such a fulfilling feeling because as an artist or as a director for my friend, you know, it's just like, Oh, you have no idea the amount of like courage it took to post it because I feel like I suck. And then when it's there, you know, people say, oh, my God, that's so cool. It's just so rewarding. And sometimes when people give me compliments, I do this weird face because I don't know what to do with my hands because at the moment I'm just like <laughs> giddy. I'm just like, hmm, you know, but it's just one of those things. I don't think you'll ever people will never get tired of hearing, you know, that's that's fucking amazing that you do that. You know, it's right. just cool. It's just awesome to have like that tangible byproduct of yeah. the hard work and to mm -hmm. see something that you had on paper or in your head go from your head to paper to being shot and then being edited and adding music to it and everything. It's it's a truly um, rewarding and, and fulfilling experience, you know, to have that. And, and especially when you're doing it with other people that you care about. Um, and, you know, that's not to say that, that there aren't struggles and there aren't fights and there aren't, you know, lost friendships and stuff like that in the marriage. Yeah, there are certainly, sure. you know, and gray hairs. I mean, I've certainly got enough of that. But but the the benefit, I think, far outweighs the detriment in when it comes okay. to, to producing and creating like that. So I love that I've done it. And um, I love that there's people like you guys out there that want to help perpetuate the, you know, the experience by getting other people to check out our work. And, uh, you know, I just appreciate that you guys liked it and, and wanted to talk to me about it. Well, we, we certainly do. So I'm going to segue into that ending you were talking about just a minute ago. Um, I would like for you to tell us where we can find your stuff, uh, where, what you're working on now, how we can get screen box, bloody disgusting, roll all that together in a nutshell for the listeners. And I'll definitely post links on the podcast. I should have one of the one of the QR codes on the screen box postcard. I'm going to just hold it up. Yeah, um, yeah. So for Bloody Disgusting, you go to bloodydisgusting.com and find out everything about horror on there. Uh, it's one of the, if not the largest horror website in the world. So if you're listening to this podcast, you should know what Bloody Disgusting is because why would you be listening to a horror podcast if you don't know Bloody Disgusting? Um and uh, they have a channel called Blade Disgusting TV. It streams 24-7 through Roku channel, which is on the Roku player. Um, you go there, it's one of the live channels, and you can just put it on the background. It's really good background noise. Um, you can also watch our show, Bloody Bites, on Pluto, Sling. Uh, you can go to Screenbox and subscribe. I think it's like $4.99 a month, and you can get the first month free. Um, if you reach out to these guys, you know, I can get a link or whatever for that. Um, and you can just put the QR code on your website or whatever, and people can get the first month free, check it out. There's some cool stuff on there. 
tons of titles, you know, um, we're slowly building it with a lot of new content, but we're really excited to be rebranding it um, and hopefully competing with Shutter, you know, as we move forward with it. Uh, and then in terms of my personal stuff, you can go to scotchworthy.com, which I would recommend you writing that on your, your post for this because it's difficult sometimes to spell out. Um, you can go yeah, to I'll, put a, I'll put a link on there for sure. Yeah, that'd be cool. And uh, you can check out trailers and stuff on my YouTube channel, which is Scotchworthy TV. Um, you can watch our movies like Skeletons in the Closet, High on the Hog, uh, The Rake. They're on Amazon. They're on Tubi. Um, you know, so you can find them all over the place. And uh, yeah, otherwise, I'm hoping to get another movie going. You know, we've been talking to Bloody Disgusting about doing a sequel or a remake of Skeletons in the Closet. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Please. I loved that movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we're... We're we're in the uh, the developmental phases of it right now, so we're we're working with Bloody Disgusting's team to get that to their parent company, Cinedime, and, and get the greenlit, um, which is super exciting. Um, you know, that's my my biggest hope is that you know there there aren't millions of people that have seen the movie, but the people that have seen it really seem to enjoy it and and are fans of it, and so we're hoping that 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 fan base will help kind of you know show Cinedime that, that there's potential there for another episode or another, you know, piece of content in that series. Um, so I'm excited about that because Skeletons, The Widow and Charlie are characters I've had in my head for 20 years. And so I was really glad to see them not only come to light in that movie. And that's Adam's art box, isn't it? Uh, so Adam did the inner sleeve. If if you um, if you open that up and you, you show people the... Adam, who plays Charlie, that guy in the movie, he did that artwork. And then the flip side, he did the widow drawing as well, which Adam is insane. He is insanely talented. I actually have a few of his pieces in my house. I'm such a fan of his artwork. He's just, he's amazing. Do you have his, when I was at the convention with him this last weekend, I saw, yeah, look at that sexy green vinyl. I love it. Um, He did a... a, a drawing of Lydia with the the handbook for the recently deceased. Do you have that one? No, I have um I have the Universal's Monsters one. Okay. You should that one's beautiful. You should like go to his website or his Instagram or whatever and, and check out the Lydia one because you being a big Beetlejuice fan, I feel like it's it, to me it's one of the best ones he's done. His he captured Winona Ryder's likeness from that movie so well in that drawing. Um and his Nightmare on Elm Street ones are cool, too. He's got the bed of blood, and he's got the TV from part three. Um, yeah, he's just... I asked him to be on the podcast. He said he would, but we'll see. I don't know. He hadn't answered me back yet, because it was around the time of the convention. Let's get the both of us on. We'll talk about skeletons. That'd be fun. That's I love that. that. Dude, I want to talk to him about art and stuff, too, because, like, oh, my God. <gasps> yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm a, I'm a groomsman in his wedding in a couple of months, so we're. They're oh, nice. so fucking adorable. He's oh, oh he's, he's one of, they're so cute. Yeah, he's one of my best friends. Him, Kaylee, and, and my wife and I, we we hang out all the time. They were the uh, the well, I know I can't say it. Uh, I was gonna say well, they are. They they were the first guests at our new house. And I don't I don't want my parents to listen to this and get mad that they were invited over before my parents. Too much, mom. So. We um, but yeah, we absolutely love those guys. Well, it'll be a little while for this podcast airs. Sure, so we're, yeah, we're we're uh, time, yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, you Adam is just one of those insanely talented people. Their band is really fun to go see too. Um, so 
But yeah, he did the artwork on the inside. And uh, this guy by the name of Ryan Glossmeyer, who's a world of death filmmaker, is the one who did the poster art for Skeletons in the Closet. And then my wife is the one who designed, because she's a graphic designer, she did the Blu-ray cover and then she did the album cover for the soundtrack. Um, so lots of talented people involved, which is awesome. You know, that movie. Don't you love having that? community around you well it's just it's cool because skeletons was initially it started out as chop shop it was a couple of short films that we shot that mm -hmm. were never going to get released and i sat down and i talked to my co-producers and said i have this idea for this host and hostess dynamic we can make this movie all we have to do is shoot two days of the host and hostess two or three days with the babysitter and the little girl who's their number one fan and we got five days and now we have a feature-length movie and my co-producers were like, let's do it. We went and we made it. And like I said, to see an idea that was 20 years old, finally get put down on, on a camera and, and to watch it come together and the edit and everything, it's it was a dream come true for me, um, more so than any of my other films, because it's something that I've had in my head for so long. And, and I really love the Widow and Charlie characters. I think that they're a lot of fun and they really hone in on that that nostalgic heart factor that that we have when when you talk about people like Elvira over your shoulder and the crypt keeper the, the people that we grew up watching and giving us that that love and the fun you know that that the horror genre can bring it's not just scary it's also fun and and that's what i loved about the crypt keeper and elvira and um so you know i I just hope that the widow and Charlie get perpetuated and more audiences get introduced to them because I think that they're cool. It's like Peg and Al Bundy, but he's dead and she killed <laughs> the him. funny part. They reminded me of that one um, SNL skit with Adam Sandler, and Chris Farley, when they were doing the Zagat rating yeah. and he was like, God, kill me now. I don't know. It just, it was so funny. I thought of that when I saw that, I was like, you yeah, know, that's funny. Yeah. My co-writer, John Halusik is uh, he's, he's got a really good, like kind of, not dry sense of humor. He's not like slapstick funny, but he's been married for 20 years. And so he's got like this, he just has this really good way of making marriage funny. And you know, the, the, the bad aspects of marriage funny that everybody tolerates by being married or, you know, you've been in a relationship for five years. So you even understand the idiosyncrasies of being in a relationship and living with somebody that you love the shit out of, but sometimes they just want you to pull your hair out. You know, we can't be hungry at the same time. That's literally the only time we fight and it's the dumbest shit we'll fight about, but we cannot be hungry at the same time. Cause it's like a whole world war three. Like I'm hungry. You're hungry. I'm a whole different. Yeah. My wife Feed me. No. We have the hangry fights too, for sure. This house has given us a lot, our fair share of stressors, but uh, I'll tell you that, you know, that's, that's the best thing about it is it's like, there's, there, there's nothing like that. And that's what I wanted is like Charlie, even though he's in his own hell where this woman murdered him and keeps him locked up in this basement and he can't move because he's not a zombie. He's just undead. So he can't move. And I love that because he is forced to deal with her. And it's like, you see, there's moments where he is sentimental, you know, when he's mm -hmm. like, I always loved your laugh. And it's like, he wants to care about her. But he then remembers that she murdered him and keeps him locked up and rotting in the basement. And he's just like, fuck you. I love you, but fuck you. You know? Um, so, I don't know. I, I just want more people to see more skeletons. I, I love it so much. And um, 
hopefully if we if we get to make another one that every you know all the aspects of it maintain their integrity and and uh and blade discussing said they want to make seven of them so i i would certainly love to see that happen that would be awesome yeah so you can find all that shit on, on scotchworthy.com there's a store there you can go on there and order stuff i've probably got a dozen copies of that record left i only made a hundred of them so there's not very many left um so if you want a first edition of that soundtrack, you got to pick that up fast. If you're a vinyl collector, I highly recommend it. It is a super good soundtrack. Um, it is. I will attest to that. Yeah. I listen to it. Really talented artists like Matt Corbett, uh, a guy from, from England who wrote four original songs for it. DC McAuliffe, who's done a lot of my score work, composed a lot of really awesome sound, uh, soundtrack stuff for that. And, um, a couple other guys, Colin Nance and Colin Diederich, I think is his last name. You know, just some really great guys that I've met over the years that that did some really awesome soundtrack stuff. And and then obviously the movies are all cool too. Skeletons Blu-ray has some really good uh, behind-the-scenes featurettes and stuff on it. And um, if you buy the rake from my website instead of going to Walmart or wherever you can find it, you can get. Uh, a QR code to the to the behind the scenes featurette, which is about two hours long, and really showcases a lot of what went into making that film, um, which I think is good for any independent filmmaker looking to get some you know uh, insight into the process. So yeah, recommend checking all that out, and, and I appreciate anybody going and supporting what we do. You know. All right. Well, Elena Morales, tell us where we can find you. I am jukeboxbaby78 on Instagram as well as on TikTok. So if you want to see some of my body paint transformations, some weird special effects makeup, me at the hump doing stupid stuff like this, trying to talk with dentures in my mouth like a crazy person, um, that's what I do. You can follow me there. Um, if you want to talk about makeup and possible jobs, I am Elena Marie on Facebook. Um, and I look forward to hearing from all of you. If you want to buy books with my face on them, go to valleyboypublications.com, Charles's website. Um, you can buy Road to Terror with my face on it. And also, excuse me, I just forgot the name of the book. Midnight Rider. Right, Midnight Rider. Wow. Um, I did that cover as well. So if you'd like that, and there's t-shirts and also koozies with my face on them. there. <laughs> That's just me. That's the one that I'm buying. Me. All right. When I update my cash, whatever. Or when I update website. my PayPal account. There you go. <laughs> and I am Charles Campbell. I'm a small town horror author. You can find me at valleyboypublications.com. You can find me on Instagram under Charles Campbell Author. Same under Facebook. Uh, we also launched a Horror 421, the podcast Facebook page. So go like and subscribe. Um, if you have any ideas for the show or if you're or, or if you are an artist, a movie director, anyone that's affiliated with, with horror or uh, entertainment uh, and you want to be on a podcast, let us know. Message us and we, we'll see if we can get you on the schedule. We'll just make sure that we jive. And if we do, we'll, we'll, we'll get it rolling. Uh, other than that, that's really all I have to say right now. Uh, thank you again, Tony, for being on the show. And until next time, we'll see you on Horror 421, the podcast. Bye, everyone. Thanks for having me on, guys. We hope you had a horrific time, lovelies. 
Thank you for tuning in to Horror 421, the podcast. Be sure to like us on YouTube and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.